Welcome, Stu Ferguson. Thank you, Red. Uh, it was amazing to hear from Phil and Red that they, um, the 1900 is getting knocked down, so it just made a lot of sense to the guy who ended up being on CFUN the longest, which is, was so weird for me, a young kid growing up in Vancouver. I was literally at CFUN for 30 years. So I got there in 1979, so I worked with that guy right at the end, Mr. Tom Jeffries. I wish more of my era guys were here. I love all you guys. Um, I did tell you a story earlier that I'm not gonna tell about Daryl B. Um, but uh, at one point, uh, I did a two-man all-night show, a live all-night show in Vancouver. I think it was J. Robert Wood's idea. It was pretty crazy. Um, I was Hollywood Stu Ferguson, and then there was Robert D. Vine. So we were Hollywood. <laughs> He's over there in the corner. I should have mic'd him for that. But when I started, I was literally the, the super young guy, and I was doing the all-night show, and Jim Holt, who I would love to have here, I haven't seen him in years, Love, I absolutely love Jim Holt, but I was the young guy, and I got there, and I was. we were all terrified of Jim Holt. Uh, and we had to do... We had to do a wake-up call for Jim at 3.45 in the morning. And, and we, like, I still have nightmares about missing that phone call all these years later. It was like the atomic clock was going to go off if I didn't phone Jim Holt. We back-timed to 3.45 to make that phone call. So I would, I would phone Jim, and uh, morning, Jim. You know, nice, bright voice, and, and Jim would go, <laughs> hang up. And he'd walk into the studio about an hour and a half later, and the door would, would open up, and I would say, uh, hi, Jim, how's it going? And he'd just go, uh, like that. And I'd, okay. So I tell this story about perseverance. So for at least a month and a half, Jim Holt came in there uh, into the studio, and, and uh, I'd say, morning, Jim. Uh. And one month later, I said, morning, Jim. He said, hi, Stu. And I almost lost my breath. And after that, we were best buddies. Uh, we shared a lot. He was a golfer and everything. So anyhow, Jim Holt was one of my idols. So I grew up in Vancouver listening to these guys on the radio. And then I was one of them. It was the weirdest thing ever. Uh, working with guys like Jim Holt and Daryl B. Uh, I would love to tell stories, but I want these guys to, to tell stories. But I, uh, Jim Holt, uh, I just want to finish off with another story. And then I'll get on to the panel. Um, so I phone him for all those years and then about a year and a half later I'm doing swing and it's early in the morning and I get a call from from Jim Holt he's phoning me this time and he says and this would never happen in today's radio or, or anywhere and he said Stu I need you to come in and do middays Bob Merchant is here and he's still drunk from last night <laughs> So I said, okay, Jim, I'm on my way. Came in, did the shift, and still to this day, he doesn't know I was at the same party. <laughs> I left a lot earlier than Mad Dog Merchant. Anyhow, we've got a great panel. We've got Roy Hennessy and Doc Harris are gonna share one, one microphone. Let's have a hand for those guys, legends. It's all legends here. We've got John Tanner and Terry David Mulligan on another microphone here. 
We've got Chuck McCoy, and we've also got Tom Jeffries on that same microphone. Let's have a hand for them. And we've also got Red Robinson and Ed Carl on the uh, microphone down here. So why don't, where did Red go? Uh, Red, you're supposed to be sitting here now. <laughs> Red Robinson, ladies and gentlemen. I love this guy so much. So why don't we start, Red? Have a seat, relax. And because there were, there were different eras, obviously, of C-Fun with the jingles. So what we want to hear is stories. We want to hear things that people haven't heard before. So what was it like in the day? And take us back to maybe a favorite story or a favorite personality or just a favorite moment from 1900 West 4th. Well, I tell you, I came out of the U.S. Army back to CKWX and, uh, because the money was better. <laughs> I'll never do that again. <laughs> no, I, I did, and I, I regretted it because they were carrying baseball at night, and, you know, you couldn't play uh, top 40. And Dave McCormick, give him a lot of credit, created C-Fun. I mean, not the way, not the call letters, but the way it programmed. And... Uh, no wonder they hired him in San Berdu. But anyway, uh, I think the best story I can give you is there was a young kid on CJOR named Fred Latrimal. And I said, this kid's got a lot of potential. And little did I know that he was thinking about us. I think he was going with a lady across the alley called Blanche. <laughs> right in the back alley. Yeah, behind Seafun. You were the best man? <laughs> Prove it. <laughs> anyway, Fred was terrific, except one quick story. He was young and irresponsible, totally. I'd go on the air and uh, fill in for him, and he wasn't there. And I said, where the hell is Fred? They said, oh, I think he's down at K Kitts Beach. I said, wonderful, I'm sitting here doing this show. I picked up the phone, I called his mother, True. And I said, have you seen Fred? Who is this? I said, I said it's Red Robinson. Oh, you've always been jealous of Freddy. I said, okay, ma'am, uh, but do you know where he is? No. Hangs, hangs up. So what I did is I opened the mic and I said, anyone at Kitts Beach seen Fred Lachimo, Tell him, tell him his radio show is on the air without him. And sure as hell, he showed up at the station, walked up from the beach uh, 10 minutes later and did a show like he thought he'd rehearsed it. He was an amazing talent. He, he was the most talented guy I, oh, yeah. I ever worked with. And I didn't know that that tendency carried on because I, the, I ended up doing morning shows for him for so, for so many years. And we had a, a, a term for it. We called it PVS, pre-vacation syndrome. Because Fred would get sick before he was going oh, on vacation. Yeah, Ed Carl, tell us uh, a favorite story from the Sea Fun oh, days. I'll, I'll take, one, take one from Red here for a minute because he started it really. And uh, Fred, was, Fred was a character, there's no question about that. And uh, as was Daryl B. I went to, I'll start off, I went, I, my first job at Sea Fun was the all night guy. And, uh, you know, when you're doing that show, you got to remember, this is back before we had CDs, before we had, uh, you know, uh, any kind of recording equipment in your car. 
I mean, if you had an AM radio, you were in, because there were cars in those days who didn't even have an AM radio. So the good news of all of that was, of course, the, uh, well, when I started there, I guess uh, LG was really not on the scene yet. I think my friend here was polishing his microphone because he came on pretty quick after, but uh, we started out, and I remember this, um, Red and I had a little shtick going with the, uh, the Odeon theater chain because they had two drive-ins in the region in those days, imagine that. One in Westminster, one in North Van, and the people at Odeon had contacted Red, and Red contacted me and said, we want to do a sock hop prior to the, you know, in the summertime before the movie starts because you got to wait till it gets dark. And uh, Red did North Van, I did New Westminster, we did that for a couple of years, I think, and one particular day, just a standout day that I, I can never forget, we, did, we were called to have a meeting with the people at Odeon, and uh, Red and I were going over together. We left the station, and we left in my car. And in those days, I had a 61 Pontiac convertible. It was a beautiful August day, and we roared over there, had our meeting. On the way back, we're going across the Lionsgate Bridge, and Red says, take, take the park exit, take the park exit. So we take the park exit, and we get into the park, and uh, he reaches over, turns off the radio, and uh, we're listening, and like you could hear Seafire. And we drove all the way around the park, right until we got back out the other side, and you never missed a song, and you never had the radio on. So if you want to talk about an impact radio station in those days, boy, there's never been one like it, I can tell you, never. <laughs> Beautiful. So CKLG and then LG were the big rivals. And I know in, in our era, me and, and Tom, we would hang out with the LG guys, but it was, we were competitive, but we would hang out together. So, I mean, again, a kid grew up in Vancouver listening to the real Roy Hennessy on the radio and Doc Harris. How about your perspective on being in radio at that time and uh, the, the friendships or, or just your, your thoughts on CFUN in general from the day? Roy Hennessy. Well, um, speak up. Hmm. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> thank you for keeping the knives away while I'm just I'm looking around and seeing the Z Fun logo everywhere. I'm going, oh, I don't think I'm in the right building. You know, just... <laughs> no, the, uh, the beauty of it was something you just touched on was the fact that, yeah, it was a radio war. But, but it was a brotherhood, you know, yeah. and, a, and a passion for the industry. <clears throat> when Mr. McCoy came in to see fun, uh, the Chucker and I, we had known each other. He went to work for see fun and with Bob Wood, who was a dear, close, personal friend these days. Anyway, uh, McCoy was there for, how long are you there? Four years? Two? Four or five years. Until uh. McLaughlin cut the check. <laughs> anyway, four years, he was there. I know him. I never spoke a word to him. Never. And then McLaughlin, who's running radio for Moffat, hires him to go to Edmonton, McLaughlin calls me and says, I've just hired McCoy. I hang up the phone, pick up the phone, it's McCoy. I haven't seen you for a while, we should have lunch. 
four years he's down the street, not a word. <laughs> Suddenly now we're, we're allowed to speak. You know, the, the main reason that um, I'm here, I've been attending these off and on for a number of years, and I'm always, thanks Phil, I'm always made aware of when the next date is and try and see if I can coordinate a, a visit because it is a treat. But the main reason that I, I wanted to be here today for the tribute to Kerry and to, to CFUN is because without 1900 Forth and without Whitey Robinson, I'll call him, <laughs> we separated them. Without Red, I would not be in this room because there were three of us sort of serious university students, sort of serious. There were three of us, the three amigos, one of them's sitting right over here, Jim Morrison, the other, Brian Bren, who died a few years ago without permission <laughs> and he has not been forgiven for that but the three of us got involved in Radsock, UBC Radio and The Passion and The Bug and the three of us would occasionally go to a class spend most of our life in the, the basement at Brock Hall doing our version of radio and somehow or other and I I can't remember how Morrison would he would know the date the time the license plate number I mean he's got that kind of a mind anyway we got to know Red and for some reason or other he decided that these three village idiots would be entertaining so he let us hang around. We were at, uh, at WX, and then he went to uh, West Forth, and we would just hang out. We were groupies. You know, we're semi-mature 20-year-old, 19-year-old boys hanging around with the idols. And we're all trying to get into radio. And I made a deal with myself. I was going to bail on UBC if I could get a gig in radio. And if I enjoyed it as much as I thought I would, I'd keep going. But I had to get the job. For some reason that I could never get a rationalization for, Red took me under his wing and helped me record my first audition tape. It only took a month. <laughs> this is all truth, a month. Have you got a week? No, it was seven minutes, but boy, did it take work. And he had the patience to listen to this crap and to do this and do that, at the end of it, I had a reel, it was a five minute edition, something like that, 
sent out seven copies to stations in BC, and of, as you would expect, I got five career suggestions, plum plumbing, <laughs> and one from uh, Ralph Robinson, who was the PD at CKOK in Penticton, said, got your tape. If you're ever in the neighborhood, <laughs> drop by. <laughs> How many days? Five days I'm sitting on, because I had to wait for the weekend, you know, because I was a janitor on the ferries out of Tawasson while I was going to university. I had to, anyway, went to Penticton, ba -da -ba -da -ba -da. but if it hadn't been for that, and, you know, I mean, this guy owns the world. He's a star, and he's prepared to sit down at when he got off the air, when was it then? 10? 10 at night? And spend a half an hour in the studio listening to, hi, you know, I really want to work for you. That, that kind of thing. Anyway, that's, I just, first of all, to see all of you again is wonderful, but mainly to thank once again Whitey for. Uh, for helping me get my career started. So that's my story. Love it. Roy Hennessy. Up next, a guy I worked with in his Seafun incarnation. Listen to, the, do you remember the Fog Eaters back in the LG days? Doc Harris. Doc, a favorite memory. Thank you. Um, my story is similar to Roy's because uh, when I was a kid, I was trolling around the dial. Actually, what was the thing was, CJOR had a show called Kitty's Carnival on at noon every day. And uh, I, I'd leave the radio on, you know, like in, in that dial position. And when you turned it on after school, there was red. And uh, I became totally infatuated with Red's radio program. It was, uh, it was absolutely, well, it was something we hadn't heard before, right? And then he moved over to WX, and that was great because it was on twice a day due to the cruelty of the slave drivers at WX. Um, but it was terrific because I could listen to him in the afternoon and then I'd put on my, I swear to God this is true, my crystal set and uh, listen to him through earphones in bed at night. So uh, Red had an influence on me. Later on, my friend Tommy and I decided we would go down to Seafun and meet Red in person. And he, sp he was busy, but he still had time to talk to us and gave us a whole stack of 45s. And we took a moment, played them, and said, these are shit. <laughs> But I suppose that's why he gave them to us. <laughs> but uh, it was many moons later that I actually did work at... Uh, oh, yeah, i got to tell you another thing that happened while Tom and I were there. We were in the uh, what was the big studio where they used to keep the piano and everything back in the day. And I remember we, were, we turned up the monitor a bit, and suddenly there's Tom Peacock. Don't touch the equipment! Jeez, <laughs> what a friendly guy. <laughs> I ended up working for him, too. <laughs> but uh, to carry on later, um, 
I had always hung out with the guys from Seafun, uh, you know, Daryl and Freddie and all pals of mine. And I never thought that I would work there until my situation at CKNW became untenable. And uh, so uh, I took a job at Seafun. Uh, at and we did have a lot of fun. There were a lot of uh, people came through that morning show, I'll tell you. But uh, I managed to survive for almost two years. It was wonderful. And then I went back to CKNW. <laughs> but uh, for a lot more money. Uh, He's looking at me. I... Yeah. No, no, I shouldn't. Um, but uh, yeah, Seafun Seafun was quite a ride. It was it was quite a trip. And uh, boy, what a lot of crazy people. And you and you were at 1900 West Fourth, the legendary. Yes, I was. You yeah. see, that was the thing. I should just say this briefly, Stu. I said it to somebody earlier today. My dream that I fulfilled in the Vancouver market was to work in all these buildings where the radio stations were before they were torn down. <laughs> it's true. So I worked at McBride Plaza for NW. Uh, what was it, 1275 Burrard for, for WX? I was at the Seafund building, 1900 West 4th. LG when it was, yeah, down on... Uh, 1006 Richards, right. And so it was really cool because these were all places I had wished I could work at when I was a young kid, and I got to do it. I don't know if it was worth it. <laughs> Thank you. Doc Harris. <laughs> Jolly John Tanner, your thoughts on Fun? I mean, you've got, the, got it right on your shirt. Love this guy. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it was the people that we were working with. I mean, yeah, we got to meet uh, the artists, you know, going to the concerts, getting backstage. But it was the actual people that you work with. Like, uh, for instance, uh, when I first started, uh, actually, Red offered me the job. Uh, there would be a job coming soon at Seafun as he was driving me to the Beatles conference in, or concert in 64 to MC the show, but before we went there, we drove up to UBC's uh, UBC gym, uh, to UBC Memorial Hospital, and uh, visited Fred. And there was Fred, the first time I met him, he was all yellow, he had jaundice. <laughs> Hi, Fred, nice to meet you. Sorry you can't, uh, sorry you can't introduce uh, Dosan, yes. So, um, yeah, it was just the people there, like, in the, uh, I remember walking in the Seafun Library, and there's this beautiful blonde lady, blonde, blonde hair, and her name was Susan, and Paskovitz, and uh, oh, hi, well, I work here in the library helping out, you know. Uh, one of the craziest people I worked with there uh, was uh, Mad Mel. Remember Mel? <laughs> hi, baby, how are you? Hong Kong, Kong, you know, Mad Mel is a nut. And he all started uh, as a Sasquatch up on Gross Mountain in this crazy scheme that Red and that worked out where his brother and that would bring them down in the back of a truck in a cage and he was the janitor and then he eventually started there. Now I just reconnected with Mad Mel. He lives in uh, uh, Adel uh, Brisbane, Australia. And he's, uh, he still looks the same pretty well, a few more wrinkles and stuff. And he's a member of a, a club of runners. He's a, a real runner. And the club is, you got to be under 60. And uh, Mel has got to be older than me, and I'm late 70s. So he's like, yeah. And he's, he, he's pulled their legs so far. He still runs with all these young people. He's on Facebook. Um, and I think one of the most 
beautiful people there, uh, persons there, was uh, Al Jordan, uh, who is our production manager. He was just a dream to work with. And uh, later, I kept in touch with him over the years. He suffered from glaucoma, so I supplied him with his cannabis to help with the glaucoma. <laughs> and, uh, Shocking. But, uh, and so many people. I saw Daryl B. when he first came, and uh, Terry David Mulligan when he drove in in his uh, hardtop Chevy, I think. It was kind of cream-colored, and we used to park uh, with Carol Ann and the Beagles, uh, Brunhilde and uh, all the other Beagles, yes. Um, and we'd park over in the corner of the Seafon parking lot, which is underneath this building. It's still there, and sitting in his car, and we'd be toking up there like mad big clouds of smoke. I wonder if anybody will see us in here. Um, but yeah, no, it was just the people that you work with and over the years and many of them are still here and I, I just feel blessed to have known all these folks and thank you Red for hiring me, you know, I was just this hick guy from Kelowna working there and all the people that we've lost over the years, uh, one of the guys I miss the most uh, who I could ask questions about, about memories of things was Mike Cleaver who used to come to these and uh, for many years and it was such a shock when he left us, almost as much of a shock as when Glenn Livingston left us. But anyway, uh, I'm just thankful that I'm alive and uh, you guys are here and we can still converse and thank you very much for uh, letting me be a radio DJ in Vancouver. I loved it for all my years. Thanks, John. TDM? I'm a Mountie in Red Deer, Alberta. I'm not bothering anybody. <laughs> but then I started to listen to, while well, I was listening to the radio, um, and the British invasion started. And all of a sudden, it was just not just one hit, new hit a day, it was 10 new hits a day. It was, the, it was everything that the British invasion and that and what was going on on radio was fantastic and i was drawn to the station and the guy at the station was hal weaver and hal made that first oh tape for me hal weaver ended up of course at ckvn um and i started at ckrd and ended up in calgary got fired in calgary ended up in regina cjme and ckck uh and that's where I just decided if I was ever going to get back to Vancouver, I'd have to make noise out on the prairie. So I did the dumbest shit I could do. And it somehow worked because I got a tape to read. I got the phone call in the newsroom at CKCK. And it was Red's voice. I went, oh, please, can I come home? Please, let me come home. No more winters here, okay? Let me just... And um, so I arrived, <laughs> this was the winter of 66, 67, June 1967, the summer of love, I drive up to 1900 Fourth Avenue. Uh, I was welcomed, uh, it was fantastic, but on the streets, in clubs, in restaurants, in bars, because I had been a Mountie, and because this was the time of Cheech and Chong and Abe Stadenko, High levels of paranoia. John can tell you about that. Uh, rooms would clear. Conversations would stop because surely I was an undercover member of the RCMP. You definitely thought you were an arc, Jerry. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, that took a while to, to get around. Uh, Chi and Chong didn't help. Um, anyway, what a station. 
Al Jordan, the voice of Al Jordan, the voice of Al Jordan, Weaver, Joel Atnikoff, Captain Midnight. Um, I don't know that he was ever officially on staff, but he was there. That's, a, that's all I cared about. Um, I had an incredible time at CFUN. It was everything I had ever wanted. Got to work with Red. Got to be uh, back home, talk into a microphone, play great rock and roll. And uh, I was off and running, ended up at CKLG, and then and on and on. A couple of things. Uh, there's a, um, a Guess Who hit, not one of the biggest, but certainly one of the, one of the ones that, that we all played called uh, Albert Flasher. Mm. Burton tell, told me in an interview much later that in the news booth at CFUN, there was a button and a red light that said Alert Flasher. So that so to tell the newsroom, that, or to tell the control room that something was happening and to get on the air with it. And he took that and turned it into Albert Flasher. Wow. And one of the bummer things that I can remember distinctly was I was hosting the Festival Express in Calgary at McMahon Stadium because they canned it here. They wouldn't let, the city fathers wouldn't let it in. Uh, and I, Janice Joplin and I had become friends over the years, and we're sitting in the Calgary Stampeders dressing room drinking the bourbon that was required to do an interview with her. And there was a phone between us on the wall, and I picked it up, and I dialed the newsroom and said, roll tape, I got Janice Joplin. And for 10 minutes, this was on a Saturday night, for 10 minutes, I won't give you the name, but for 10 minutes, he tried and figured out, he came back and he said, I, I don't know how to run the tape. They, <laughs> they, never, they never showed me how to run the tape. And that was the last time I saw Janice. She was dead two or three months later. Uh, it was, uh -huh. anyway, uh, thank you for being here. And this is to Carrie Marshall. Thank you. And two things. My thanks to John Mackey for always writing about us and to D. Livingwell for always shooting the shots. Thank you. Thanks, Terry. So I mentioned earlier that I started in 79, so I missed the Chuck McCoy era, and I just would have loved to be in a part of that because I heard so much about it. And I know that Chuck was the absolute format guy. And, I mean, CFUN was, like, monstrously number one. Chuck McCoy. Thank you. I, Doc, I, I don't want to correct what you were saying, but you missed 2440 Ash, Kiss, another, right. another building. Yeah, but it's we still standing. It wasn't an original Chuck. That was the new building. I know, I know. But we worked there together for a day, I think. Yeah, for about, <laughs> yeah, about 40 minutes. Actually, I... Everybody's telling Fred stories, and there's so many of them, but the Doc Harris story that I can tell, when I came to KISS, Doc was doing the morning show, and I don't know if it was the first day I was there or the second day I was there, I fired him. Yeah. I, I think it was. I think it was. And... Um, Doc has, and still does have, a great sense of humor. And the next day in the Vancouver province, front page, picture of Doc Harris in color. Doc Harris 
no longer with Kiss. It actually said kissed off. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and my phone rang, and it was Doc. And he said, did you see the province? The picture in color, call letters. I said, yeah, yeah, I did. I saw that. Doc said, we should have done this years ago. <laughs> I, I want to thank uh, Phil for inviting me to come. I haven't been to any one of these uh, sessions, and it's a, a real pleasure. Uh, I, the, 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 the name legend, the words legend and icon are tossed around uh, a lot especially in broadcasting, but it's uh, an absolute honor for me to be at the same table as the one man who really deserves the title legend icon in Canadian top 40 broadcasting, Red Robinson, and I'll always feel that way. Yeah. When I, uh, my, 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 my CFUN story starts when I, Chum bought the radio station and it was CKVN. I came to town January 1st, 1973 and listened to the station briefly in the evening when I came in and Fred Latrimore was doing 7 to Midnight. And this was my first PD job and I thought, well, I don't necessarily know everything about it, but I don't think this guy should be doing 7 to Midnight. So we, we, we put Fred in the mornings and about a year and a half later, we uh, were able to get those call letters, those absolutely delicious call letters, CFUN, back. We got them back uh, because we were going nowhere. We were the worst station in the market. We were absolutely at the bottom. And I hear a lot of talk from guys like Roy and others about the brotherhood of the broadcasters and how we competed. You know, fuck that. <laughs> it I was, was trying to dress it up a little. It was a it was a fierce fight because well we we, we were nowhere and Roy's right. He was a good friend of mine from years ago, but I say that's it. Don't talk to him anymore. And uh, my brother worked there. Eh, don't talk to him anymore. And we. We're able to get the call letters back and had some amazing talent uh, on the air. And we, that, that fight was fierce because we would do things that I won't even talk about today um, to Chuck, try and beat our competitors. Yes, but Chuck, one thing, that just to show you the love and brotherhood, as I mentioned, I'm... Uh, quite a close friend now of J. Robert Wood. And for the last five years, we've, we get together four times a year and tell lies. Anyway, it was only about, and this is how naive and innocent, I was just a putz <laughs> trying to get things happening in, the, in this market. And the smart one down here comes in and starts bringing back CFUN and all of that. Anyway, it was about two years ago at one of these lunches with J. Robert Wood when he let it slip. And how many years ago was this? 30 years? Well, 40. 
45. Okay, 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 okay. Don't push it. 30, 30 sounded okay. Anyway, he let it slip that Safun had one of our LG jocks on their payroll. Oh, no, I don't think that's... that's, that's I don't believe that. On their payroll. No. And every time we'd have a staff meeting about some promotion we were doing, guess who knew about it 10 minutes later? No. Not, uh, I honestly, I found out that about that two years ago, and I told lunch, I may, uh, would I may never have lunch with you again. No. Just, well, I know I can't let you say that. He, he, he wasn't on our payroll. We didn't pay him. Uh, <laughs> Funny thing is that that person is still uh, very active in Canadian broadcasting in a name that most people would know. Most people would know because they listen to this person, but I'll never reveal that name. Um, but uh, great tease. Yeah, I uh, and 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 the, it was a it was a fierce fight because we, we were so far, far down. And, uh, yeah, my brother was at LG, and you, and uh, Doc, and all these great guys. But Ted Smith was the guy that I, I, I'd never met him. And he ran NW, and I think I sent him a, a note when we bought the station. I said, you son of a bitch, you're not going to be top dog for long. Cause we're gonna, <laughs> and, and to Ted Smith's credit, and we talk about it he would write me back the most vile, uh, e uh, not emails, but n notes as well. And they were filthy. We were just, yeah. uh, and, and then there was the one day when we actually did uh, go number one and did beat Ted Smith, and he was actually quite, quite gracious about it. Everybody's told a lot of Fred Latimer stories. I won't, I've got a million of them. I won't, uh, you'd be here all day. Um, he was... I, I do remember, I was on the air for 12 years. I replaced Terry Mulligan in, in Regina. You went CKCK, yeah. and I took your shift at CJME. Uh, and I was on the air for 12 years, and then I had uh, the luck to work with Fred. And I remember sitting in my program director's office one day listening to Fred's, and I said, that's what it meant when they said communicate. You know, and I'd, I'd gone through my whole career on the air and never actually figured it out. And I l listened to Fred, and that's when I learned what it was to communicate. I, I want to um, uh, uh, also mention Jim Holt. He's not here, but Diane is here. And Jim uh, uh, came in at a time when, uh, when, when Fred was ill and took over the morning show. And everything people say about Jim, about his gracious good mornings and all all those kinds of things were, were true and Kathy Baldazzi who you all know was Fred's uh, was Fred's wife Kathy Baldazzi was working in the traffic department not traffic reporting but the traffic department and I kind of like this young girl and she had a good voice and never been on the air before and I said, you know what I'd like you to do? I'd like you to go 
tomorrow morning into the morning show with Jim Holt and do traffic reports. And I don't even know if she'd met Jim, but she went in and did the traffic reports for that morning. And I got her in my office and said, Kathy, how did it go when you walked in and told Jimmy you were going to do traffic reports? She said, he just looked at me as I walked in the door and said, what, what are you doing here? And that's how Kathy's career started with Jim Holt. What are you, what are you doing here? So Seafun uh, is a, a, a great place. Uh, Daryl B. was somebody that I listened to when I was trying to get into radio in Winnipeg. And uh, I learned so much from him, listening to him. And then I ended up working with him briefly in Winnipeg. And one of the great moments of my career was I had a chance to hire Daryl, Daryl B. Um, and uh, I think all of us that worked with Daryl uh, to this day still miss him a lot. He was just such a perfectionist in, in his work and his job. And um, I, uh, I think Nabs put in a long distance phone line when he was sick at the, at the end so that anybody could call Daryl. And uh, so we still talked regularly. And I got to talk to him the, the night actually before he passed, passed away. Uh, and there's a lesson there for me and for everybody is uh, if there's people that you haven't seen for a while, uh, so, uh, Diana or somebody mentioned Louis Potvin, who passed away, uh, the Mountain FM. Louis was actually my 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 father-in-law in one of my marriages, and I went up to see Louis uh, three years ago. He was 93. I thought, you know, you got to go and see some of these people because you know the next time they're going to be reading somebody's name up there and it's somebody that you you you, you could have seen. And I was in Phoenix, that's why I was living in Phoenix, and Fred was living in Phoenix. And I hadn't really connected with him, and I thought, let's have lunch, you know. And we had lunch, and um, sadly, two weeks later, he was gone. So uh, take the opportunity. I guess that's what we're doing here today. There's no teenagers in this room. Um, and again, uh, Phil, thanks for inviting me here. And. Uh, Thanks to all this, the CFUN and um, uh, even the LG guys. And, and, uh, <laughs> Daryl B., stay out of trees. John Tanner, pennies for prunes. I'm a sort of a hybrid, I guess. I was one of the people that was at CKVN. I started there in 1972. Uh, I had been fired at CKPG in Prince George. I was doing the all night show. And you gotta be a pretty bad radio announcer to get fired at a radio station when your main audience is trees. Um, I lucked out, uh, Don Ramsden was working at CKVN and News and a friend of mine from Victoria. He said, why don't you make an audition tape? I said, are you kidding? I was starving to death working at Kelly's in New Westminster. I made an audition tape on a Sunday night, and about Tuesday morning, a phone rang at our house, and it was a guy named Simon Ginsberg. Oh, oh. oh. 
he was the program director at CKVN. We had about, I guess, nine listeners, if you count his family. He was a t-shirt salesman from Gastown, so we could tell where he was going at programming. I was doing all nights, and uh, we had CKVN news at 14. Oh, I was terrible. It was, the station was awful, I'll be honest. But then Fred was hired, and I listened and worshipped Fred like we all did. And one morning, the door woke open on a t swung open on a typical rainy morning, and there was Fred Latrobe, larger than life, and he shook my hand. He said, you just sound great, lying like hell. And we wound up marrying sisters. His sister, younger sister, Blanche, Blanche, younger sister, Gail, became my wife. We became very, very close, and so Fred was my muse. I just want to tell one Fred story, if I could, quickly. We've, as Chuck said, we could be here all day. I got hired at CFTR in Toronto when I was working at Ottawa for Chum. And at CFTR in those days was a tongue war with Chum AM, as Chuck well, knows only too well. And I couldn't believe my luck. I got a job at CFTR. Did I phone my parents? Did I phone my brother and sister? Did I phone my best buddy, Phil? No, I phoned Fred. And I got him at home. I woke him up, and he said how proud he was of me. Because I'd gone from nobody, literally starving to death, and under the auspices of Mr. McCoy, Jay Lee Smith, Fred Latchewell, I had a career and a life. And I echo what all the gentlemen have said here. For me, radio was a family. Fund was a family. Yes, we loved the guys at LG. We were all were a big fan. But when the mic went on, as Mr. Hennessy alluded to, and Mr. McCoy, it was death, baby. <laughs> We didn't take anything, anything for granted. We wanted to kill everybody. And in the end, we did. Mm -hmm. But at work, the people we worked with, I'm still friends with on Facebook, thank you very much. And it was a wonderful, wonderful time. I had a great 45-year career, wound up at CKNW, worked with some of the best people in the world, and are still friends with a lot of you. And I want to thank Phil Mackesy, especially for putting this together, along with Red Robinson. Thank you so much. And it's been an honor to be on the radio, both at Toronto, Ottawa, Halifax, Prince George, but especially at 1900 West 4th in Vancouver and at KISS FM. Thank you, Vancouver, and thanks to you for sitting and listening to the kid, Tiny Voice, one more time. Thanks, Tom Jeffries. And one uh, final Fred Latrimo story. So I did middays before or after uh, Fred for a, a long time. And this is totally Fred Latrimo. One day he came in and he handed me a piece of paper like this. And he said, Stu, what do you think this is? And I read it and I said, well, Fred, I think it's a check for $126,000. And he didn't know that that's what it was. And I said, it's probably some uh, commercial work that you did. That was Freddie. So let's have a hand for the panel. Roy Hennessy, Doc Harris, John Tanner, Terry David Mulligan, Ed Carl, Chuck McCoy, Tom Jeffries, and Red Robinson. Thank you. Stu, a big hand for Stu.